uh, we've all experienced some heartbreak over Maui uh, over the past couple months because all of us know somebody from Maui and everybody on Maui knows somebody who went through the fires. And so we've heard heart-wrenching stories, either firsthand or secondhand, over the last couple of months. And our hearts have been broken because we love, right? That's what love looks like. It means having your heart broken. C.S. Lewis said the same thing in his book, The Four Loves. Look at what he said. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap your heart carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and pains of love is hell. Powerful words, but they bring us to the reality that love brings pain. You remember the Princess Bride, life is pain. Why is that true? Because love brings pain. It always does, usually by the people that we're closest to because they're the people that we love the most. So we got to ask ourselves, are we going to open up our hearts to love and, and let our hearts be vulnerable, or are we going to lock our hearts up so they'll never be broken? That's the question Paul wants to ask us today in 1 Corinthians 13. If you got your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the chapter of 1 Corinthians that everybody knows because it's the one that you hear at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. And so when we hear 1 Corinthians 13, we ah, just, just feel a warm wash of sentimentality kind of wash over us. But here's the thing. As we're going to see, this chapter is not sentimental. Not at all. Paul is talking about showing love when love is hard, when love hurts. Remember, Paul's writing this letter because the Christians in Corinth are asking him a bunch of questions about things they're scrapping about. This letter is written in response to a bunch of fights that people are having. And one of the questions they are debating is this question, what is spirituality? That's what started chapter 12. What does it look like to be spiritual. In other words, what does it look like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? That's the question we started answering a couple weeks ago because one group in the Corinthian church thinks that if you have the Holy Spirit, you'll be speaking in tongues. Just all the time in church, in your community group, at your kids' soccer games, just speaking in tongues all the time. That's one group. The other group in Corinth thinks, no, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be speaking in tongues. You're going to be doing lots of spiritual activities, serving, ministering, leading. That's the debate that these two groups are having. And so Paul is wading into this debate, and he's going to tell both sides, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. The best way to know that you have the Holy Spirit is when you have love. That's what we're going to see. And let's, let's get his whole train of thought here. We've got to back up the train a little bit. Back up a few verses. Look at what Paul says in chapter 12, verse 29, very end of chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 Paul says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Obvious answer, no. We've all got different gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit. 
But verse 31, desire the greater gifts. And I'll show you an even better way. And so you should be going, okay, Paul, so what are the greater gifts? Okay, Paul, what is the better way? Here it is, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions and give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And I hope you notice something really significant here. Paul is not saying, if you speak human or angelic tongues. No, he says, if I speak in tongues, if I prophesy, if I give away, because Paul has done all of these things. He's speaking from personal experience, and in his personal experience, he's discovered that these things, these spiritual activities can be completely empty. Empty. When we think about spirituality, these are the things we usually think about. But Paul's saying all of these things can be nothing. Not spirituality. These things can be substitutes for true spirituality. Paul just listed four of them. You probably lean on one or two of them. Let's look at them real quick. Number one, mystical experiences. That's a substitute for spirituality. It can be. Paul calls it speaking in human or angelic tongues, having mystical spiritual experiences that you can't explain. The thing is, anybody can have a mystical spiritual experience. I've heard Hindus speaking in tongues, and it sounded pretty much the same as Christians speaking in tongues. The Corinthians, they would have passed by the pagan temples and heard them speaking in tongues. Mystical spiritual experiences can be great. They can also be a substitute for true spirituality. So can number two, Bible knowledge. Like Paul says, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. I don't know, maybe you study the Bible every day. You read a chapter out of a theology book every day. You listen to three sermon podcasts every day. That's awesome. That's great. You've got insights into God's word that nobody else has but maybe your knowledge and wisdom has made you a little bit arrogant. Maybe people got to walk on eggshells around you because they know you will tear their heads off if they say something slightly unbiblical. Bible knowledge isn't always spiritual. It can be a substitute. So can number three, visionary leadership. Having enough faith to move mountains. Maybe that's you. You just know God is going to do great things. You've got big dreams, big ambitions of the way God is going to use you. You're going to turn the world upside down for Jesus. It's for Jesus. Maybe it's for Jesus. Maybe it's really for you. Your dreams might not be spirit-driven. They might be self-driven. The same with giving away all your possessions. One substitute for true spirituality is radical generosity. Maybe you give a $20 bill to every homeless guy you see on the street. Maybe you travel across the world to help build hospitals and schools and orphanages. Paul calls that surrendering your body to the flames. I don't know, maybe you're surrendering your blood to the American Red Cross in a couple weeks when we do the blood drive. That's awesome. 
You're doing some amazingly generous things. But Paul says it's possible to do it without love. And if you're doing it without love, then Paul says it's nothing. Nothing. You can do good works without love for God, and if you do, then they're inherently selfish. You're doing good works to get something out of God, not doing good works out of gratitude for God. And so Paul says, you're nothing but a clanging cymbal. Just like that. That clanging cymbal is what you would have heard passing by the pagan temples in Corinth because they were banging cymbals to try and get the attention of the gods because they wanted to get something out of the gods. Over and over again, the clanging cymbal. Isn't that annoying? It's awful, right? Thank you very much, symbol, anonymous symbol person, whoever you might be. It's terrible. And guess what? Paul is saying that's what we sound like to God when we do things out of love for ourselves rather than love for him. We're as annoying as a clanging symbol. True spirituality isn't defined by those spiritual activities. True spirituality is defined by love. By love. Not the spiritual gifts you have, not the spiritual activities you pursue. True spirituality is measured by the love that you show. Being filled with the Spirit means being filled with love. You're like, okay, I can vibe with that. That sounds good. All you need is love. Roger that. I can be all about love. But what does that mean? What does Holy Spirit love really look like in everyday life? Well, Paul knew you are going to ask that question, so look at what he says in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Ah, here's where we get to the passage we all love. Love does not envy. Uh-oh. Now we're going a little sideways. Does, it is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Yeah, this is the part that you hear at weddings. And for sure, this can be applied to marriage. It can be applied to your relationship with your kids, to your relationship with your friends. It can be applied all kinds of different places. But what Paul's primarily talking about here is what love looks like in the church. In the church. And he's basically listing all of the things that the Corinthian church is not. They are not patient and kind with each other. We know that. They're always arrogant and rude toward each other. They don't bear all things with each other. But I love the way that Paul is addressing it. He's not giving them a to-do list. He's not saying, you really need to work on your patience and your kindness. You, you really need to stop being rude. You need to smile more. Just try smiling more. He's not saying that. He's telling us what the Spirit is naturally going to produce in us. And the thing is, when the Spirit does produce this love in us, it's going to be visible. He's showing us what Spirit-driven love looks like. And number one, he's saying, love is an action. It's visible. It's an action. We think love is a feeling. We think it's something that stirs in our hearts, and that's just not the case. You might not feel love toward a particular person, but Paul says you can still show love towards a particular person. You don't have to like them. You do have to love them. 
Think about somebody in your life who you don't like. Somebody in this church who you don't like. There's somebody who annoys you, somebody who's offended you, somebody who's disappointed you and failed you. It might be me. But whoever's face you have in your mind right now, that's the person that God is calling you to love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if the Spirit is in you, look at what Paul says. The Spirit will make you patient towards that person. Patient. Being patient doesn't mean being patient with late people. It means being patient with difficult people. It's about dealing with people who are a pain, man. People who need extra grace, extra help, extra perseverance. I know we don't usually like to extend grace towards people, but we sure expect them to extend grace towards us. And so patience means drinking in the grace that God has poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ, and then letting that overflow to the people around us. Then there's kindness. Kindness isn't just waving cars in front of you at stop signs. It's not just saying how's it to, to strangers in the street. Kindness means being kind towards people who aren't kind towards us. People who annoy us, aggravate us, people who deliberately go against us, intentionally hurt us. People who are more successful than us and flaunt it. That's why Paul says love does not envy. Yeah. Love allows you to celebrate when other people are blessed by God, especially when you don't feel blessed by God. When that person gets the house you wanted, the job you wanted, the baby you still don't have but always wanted. The Spirit wants to help you celebrate with them. Celebrate God's goodness, not envy them. Paul says love is not self-seeking. That's why we can celebrate with them. Because love isn't self-seeking. We all know that person who can't stop talking about themselves. You know that person. Not just about their accomplishments and achievements. It's that person, he just won't stop talking about his experiences, his problems, his opinions. And you guys know the rule. If you don't know that person, that person is you, right? That's how it always works. But after you've had a conversation with that kind of person, 20-minute conversation, you walk away going, man, that guy never asked about me once in 20 minutes. She didn't care at all about what my life is like. What you're seeing there is someone who is self-seeking. That can look like self-exaltation. It can also look like self-pity. In either case, it's self-seeking. And it's easy to get annoyed with those people. And so Paul says, love is not irritable. I love that. Literally, not complaining. Not complaining. You know, maybe you've got a way of always letting people know exactly how you feel. And you wouldn't say it's complaining. You would say it's being open and honest. That's what I'm being. I'm being authentic. I'm just being myself is what I'm being. I just say it like it is. That's what I do. Here's the thing. I've noticed that the people who say it like it is never say anything encouraging. Have you ever noticed that? Why does that work that way? Maybe you're a little different. Maybe you're just cool and calm and 
collected in front of most people, but there's this boiling cauldron of lava that's just under the surface, and it's ready to erupt at any minute. Maybe your family is the only people who ever see it. True love, if the Spirit is working in you, true love is not irritable, which means not easily triggered. I'm so easily triggered sometimes. But when the Holy Spirit takes hold of me, he replaces my frustration and irritation with patience and kindness and love. Because here's another thing. Paul says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Which is so unnatural, right? We're experts at keeping a record of wrongs. And so we'll even systematize it. When Cindy and I first got married, we read this book that says that everybody's got a love bank and the people close to us are always either making deposits into their account in our love bank or making withdrawals in that account based on whether they do things that we like or don't like. And so our first year of marriage, Cindy and I all of the time were like, oh, that was a big withdrawal you just made out of your account in my love bank. All the time. And our first year of marriage was miserable. It was awful because we were always keeping a record of wrongs. Family, we got to close those bank accounts, okay? We got to close those accounts down and extend credit to people and rip up the record of debt. Because that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. Because Paul says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. You don't obsess over the mistakes that other people have made. You don't secretly cheer when other people fail. You ever do that? It means you address unrighteousness, but, but out of love for that person. Do you love that person enough to make things awkward with them? Are you willing to say hard things to a person because you want the best for that person? You love them. That's what spirit-driven love looks like. Because Paul says love rejoices in the truth. Literally, in the Greek, love sings along with the truth. Isn't that a great word picture? Sings along with the truth. The picture it gives is that God has been singing his truth for billions of years, and he's perfectly fine just singing all by himself. He has an amazing voice. But he's invited us to sing along with him. He's invited you to sing along with him, to sing about the truth wherever you might see it, to celebrate God's truth wherever it might be proclaimed or displayed, even if it's through a person you don't like, even if it's through a church that you don't agree with even if it's through a political party you don't support. God's truth is God's truth, wherever it's displayed, wherever it's lived out. So sing along with it. Because Paul says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What an amazing verse that is. Gosh. The kind of attitude and lifestyle that this verse is talking about, that doesn't happen by accident. You don't just drift into that kind of attitude. It takes a conscious decision every day to have that kind of outlook. But the Spirit can do that. And so here's another big thing about Spirit-driven love. Number two, it's a decision. It's a conscious decision you got to make every single day. When you have Holy Spirit love, 
then you'll make a conscious decision to bear with people even when they annoy you every day. To believe the best in people even when they hurt you every day. To hope for the best in people even when they disappoint you every day. To endure with people even when they fail you every day. And I'll be honest with you, family, this verse right there, this has been my theme verse for the past three years. Uh, every, almost every morning, I wake up reciting this verse to myself because it's been rough out there, man, over the last three years. Uh, I was just at a pastor's conference last week with pastors from around the world, and they all said exactly the same thing. Everywhere in the world, Christians have been at each other's throats for the last three years. And so that's why, according to the latest poll, 42% of pastors are planning to exit ministry and find a new line of work. I was 18% three years ago. Now, I've never thought about getting a, none, any different job. I know I have the best job in the world, okay? So I've never thought about giving up this job. Never once. But there's a, a joke that pastors whisper to each other. <laughs> Ministry would be great if it weren't for all the people. We whisper it because we know ministry is all about people. There's no such thing as ministry apart from people. It's all the people business. But we also know people can be a big pain in the okole, all right? And the only way to deal with that is to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. It's not just pastors who got to follow this verse. We all need this. We all got to make a conscious decision to believe the best about other believers because Jesus believes the best about other believers. He is speaking the best about other believers every day in heaven as their advocate. He died for them and rose for them to redeem them and perfect them. Now, we got to be clear, believing the best doesn't mean ignoring the worst, doesn't mean turning our, our eye to sin and just hoping for the best. Sometimes we got to wade into the mess with people Help them kill their sin. But we're going to do that because we do hope all things. That the Holy Spirit can redeem all things and transform all things. And so we'll bear all things and endure all things alongside them. We'll walk through the ups and downs and celebrate their wins alongside them. Especially those of us who are parents. We really need to get a lot better, parents, at believing the best of our kids celebrating the best of our kids. We're really good at pointing out the wrongs that we see. But a pastor friend of mine always says, you need to catch your kids doing good. I love that. Catch your kids doing good. We're really good at catching them doing bad. Even when they're in the next room, we're like, oh, kids are too quiet right now. It can't be good, so we'll walk over and, of course, it's bad. We'll catch them doing bad all the time. But how often do you catch your kids doing good and then praise them for that? How often do you do that, parents? How often do all of us catch our friends doing good and praise them for that? Catch the people in your community group, the people on your ministry team, the people in your office, the people on your job site. Catch them doing good and praise them for that. Family, that's what spirit-driven love looks like. Look at how Paul says it in verse 8. Love never ends. Never ends. As for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Family, do you know what he's talking about here? He's talking about heaven. 
heaven, where we're going to love God and love people forever. You are going to love these people forever. Look around you right now. I'm serious. Look around you right now. These are the people you'll be stuck in heaven with for all eternity. You're like, could I find a different heaven to go to maybe? So these are the people you're going to be loving, growing in love toward for all eternity. These people won't need prophecy anymore. They'll be able to hear straight from God. They won't need words of knowledge anymore. They'll be able to go down to Jesus' house and get all the knowledge they need straight from him. They will need love for all eternity. When the perfect comes, we don't need any of that. We do need to keep growing in love, starting now. That's why Paul says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside, put aside childish things. He, he used to be a child when it came to love. He was a baby. What are babies like? Patient and kind? <laughs> yeah. Have you had a baby? <laughs> babies are, are the most impatient, unkind, unthoughtful people on the planet, Right? Babies are arrogant. Babies are rude. Babies always insist on their own way. And Paul's like, yeah, that's what I used to be just a couple years ago. But here's the hopeful thing. It's possible to grow out of babiness. It's possible to grow out of infancy. Paul says, I became a man and I put aside childish things. So here's the last thing about spirit-driven love. Number three, love is a process. You're not going to be perfectly loving at first. Paul was a baby. He had to grow over time to become a man in his ability to love. That's a process that's going to go for all eternity. We're always going to be growing in our ability to love. Look at verse 12. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I'm fully known. In his day, mirrors were just kind of hazy pieces of metal, so you could kind of see yourself, but only a dim reflection. And so he's saying the love that we experience now, it is just a dim reflection of the incredible love that's going to grow for all eternity, which is why he says in verse 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Because love is what we're going to be perfecting for the next hundred billion years. We are always going to be growing in our love for God and our love for the people around us because God loved us first. When you read this chapter, family, replace the word love wherever you see it with the word God. God is patient. God is kind with difficult people like us. God isn't arrogant or rude to us, even though we are rude every day to him. God didn't insist on his own way. He didn't insist on holding on to the glory and comfort that he had in heaven. Instead, he came to earth to live a brutal life and die a brutal death on the cross for us. Jesus loved us to the point of death so that we can love the people around us. Jesus forgives you so you can forgive the people around you. Jesus bears with you, so you can bear with the people around you. Jesus heals you, so you can help heal the people around you. 
That's what love looks like. You don't have to like them. You do have to love them because Jesus loved you first. Let's pray together. Oh, Father. It is overwhelming, never-ending, to us, seemingly reckless love that you displayed when you pursued us, hunted us down with your grace. When you sent your Son to die for us and rise for us and now lovingly reign over us. Thank you for this incredible love that we've experienced through Jesus. Now I pray that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, would empower us to display the same love to the people around us. Even if we don't like them, help us to love them because you loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.